say this after me. Say, say God brought me here tonight because he believes in me more than I believe in myself. He's preparing me for something bigger than I know. Something's happening in me tonight. It's supernatural. It's going to increase. I'm important in what God is doing. I'm in a season of breakthrough. Breakthrough in my emotions. Breakthrough in my relationships. Breakthrough in my finances. Breakthrough in my influence. My prayers are powerful and effective. Everywhere I go, revival breaks out. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Miracles happen through me. Phoenix is a revival city. Amen. I could say more, but that's... Uh, <laughs> oh, it is great to be here. I've... um. I haven't been traveling for a while. <laughs> actually, I usually travel about half the year. And uh, I've been actually, you know, enjoying not traveling. <laughs> I said, well, this is, kind of get used to this. And, you know, obviously there's so many different angles of what's going on that we could talk about. And, um, and, and I'm not really going to get into what's going on because what, what I'm after tonight is how we think. Because the kingdom of God is not moved forward by good conduct. It's moved forward by good beliefs. And, and I mean, good conduct's important, but even to upgrade what we do, we need to first upgrade what we believe. And, and, and the, the greatest question of the hour is not, Lord, what should I do? The greatest question of the hour is, Lord, what should I believe? What should I believe? What should I believe about you? What should I believe about me? The people in my life, my nation, my future, what, what do I renew my mind with? And, you know, I was just asking, you know, just thinking, praying about this, asking the Lord, who's going to be here tonight? And, and, and I, I heard this, Steve, there's great people you're speaking to tonight. You're speaking to great people. You're speaking to people who want to do it right. There, there's people in the room whose history with God would astound you. <laughs> there, there's others at the beginning of their journey. And the Lord's preparing us all for something bigger than we know. And that's really, you know, the one, one of the big wonders of the Christian life is we don't know what we're being prepared for. <laughs> I mean, David, he's out there with sheep, worshiping, writing music, playing with slingshots. Ha <laughs> ha. He doesn't know where that thing's going. 
It's interesting, his secular hobby is what saved a nation. Ha ha. Ha. Yeah, I really should be worshiping. <laughs> but let me see if I can just take off that sheep's tail. <laughs> let me see if I can do that. <laughs> He had no idea what he was being raised up for. I'm just going to be faithful. By the way, faithfulness is not, is not just showing up. It's how you think when you show up. I mean, showing up is kind of important. It's part of maturity 101. You show up when you don't feel like showing up. Yep, I show up as a husband when I don't feel like showing up. ha. <laughs> I show up to my commitments. But that faithfulness is not just showing up. Some say, well, I'm faithful. I don't really want to be here, but I'm here. I'm one of the remnant. <laughs> Amen. Others aren't here, but I'm here. Well, we applaud that. <laughs> Uh-uh, people, faithful people show up full of faith. That's the goal. And there's a powerful verse in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, where it says, it's right in the middle of talking about giving. And it says, but each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's interesting, you find out something, you know, whenever you see in the Bible God loves something, it might be worth our while to find out what that's all about. What's that all about? And this thing's so much bigger than financial giving. I mean, it's just that financial giving is just one little piece of what he's trying to say there. Basically, God loves a cheerful decider. He loves a cheerful decider. Because, really, you know, cheerfulness is the evidence you've attached faith to the decisions you've made, it's the evidence. Not reluctantly under compulsion. I mean, there's, there's three ways you can just do what you do. One is reluctantly and under compulsion. I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it. Ha ha. <laughs> I, uh, I'm forced to do this. I'm going to do it anyway. Who knows? Maybe someone dragged you to church tonight. Ha ha ha. I don't really want to be here, I am, but I'm here. Let's just laugh at that. <laughs> I mean, the other way you can do things is passively. Yeah, I'm here, but I'm going to wait to see what happens. Mm -hmm. I'm going to wait. I'm here. I sure hope it's a good meeting. <laughs> I hope it's a good meeting. Hope something good happens here. 
<laughs> and in a third way to do things is attach faith to what you're doing. Anytime you attach faith to what you're doing, there's cheerfulness, there's energy, there's power. Most people's tiredness is spiritual, not physical. And this is a time right now where we are tempted to be very tired. And I get it. I mean, I, I, I took a nap this afternoon. I, yeah, that's good. That's a good decision. Good job, Steve. <laughs> but I've noticed a lot of my tiredness is just spiritual because I'm not attaching faith to what I'm doing. I'm in defensive mode. And I, I live at times. I, I, I get it. I'm just, I'm just trying to trying to survive. I'm just trying to, yeah, yeah, but if we're there, we're not going to stay there. God loves a cheerful decider. And I'm in the room with cheerful deciders. I'm in the room tonight. I'm hearing this God's breaking double-mindedness off people. God's breaking passivity off people. God's breaking reluctance and under compulsion. I remember as a young leader, I said, God, I can't wait until I do something great for you. He said, instead of waiting to do something great, why don't you do what you're doing right now with great faith, and it will become great. It'll become great. And, and we're all in training right now of how to think. I'm in training right now how to think. I believe leadership's about 90% how we think. Because I'm always concluding something. And, and really, our conclusions, you could say this. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind in Romans 12 too. Our con- what we conclude to be true is actually a form of mind renewal. Whether it's as simple as, uh, you know, I conclude I don't remember names well. Let's just laugh at that, by the way. Ha ha, Yeah. I conclude that. Uh-huh, I renew my mind. Uh-huh, yeah, amen. I, don't remember. I, I come into agreement with that. I renew, when I agree, I renew my mind, and then I transform my future into more not remembering names well. See, I told you so. It's true. Ha. The Lord said, it's, it's true for you, but it's not truth. It's true for you. Because that's what you renew your mind with. You keep renewing your mind with your past and your feelings. And you keep perpetuating your experience. So I'm going I'm to break that out of you, Steve. And, and you know, I'll, I'll tell you what. Something, something's going to happen in these meetings. It's already happening. But I want to I let you know, uh, nobody's in here by accident. Strongholds. This is a stronghold demolishing meeting. This is a pessimism deliverance service. <laughs> Dynamite is going to be blasting away victim mindsets. Unworthiness is going to get obliterated. That's what I'm hearing. And, and, and what, what I'm hearing too is that people are going to 
catch spiritual fire like never before. Someone just say fire. Fire. (laughs) By the way, just uh, everybody in the first three rows on this side, just stand up. (laughs) Man, I was looking over there. During worship, man, I saw the that first three rows. Man, I said, "Who are those people?" I know some some of you are up here worshiping, but but you're you're a part of it. (laughs) And 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 I just uh, I was hearing this that the Lord he's so he's so blessed by you. And and I, I was reminded of a story where Enterprise Alabama has a monument to the bull weevil. In, in the, the, the city, this is for everybody, but especially for you. And because the uh, early 1900s, the boll weevil wiped out their cotton crop. And then they found out they could grow peanuts in place of cotton and they could earn more money. And they got so excited about it, besides thanking God, they built a monument to the boll weevil. <laughs> now, I, I, don't, I don't, you know, just... It, you know, just even what's going on right now with the coronavirus, something in all of you, the Lord is actually doing something and showing you something that you're going to look back on this season and you say, everything changed. Everything changed. And I don't know how to make a monument to the bull weevil, I mean, to the coronavirus. But, so I bless you in Jesus' name. thick up here. (laughs) Man. (laughs) I was also um, hearing this, that um, the Lord is, there's people in the room where God is, there's creative supernatural discipleship, that there's there's a whole new discipleship movement, and there's people in the room who are are going to get new strategies for personal discipleship. I was over at uh, Ben and Kara's home today, and their daughter, Caden, was making cakes. I saw those cakes, and and I also was thinking about cupcakes and how a cupcake is... A personalized cake. <laughs> Somebody got a good idea. With by the way, <laughs> the Lord's releasing. He's releasing new ideas for things. But I thought about that because a cupcake is an individual something for individuals, and I just see God. People who have done things kind of on the mass, you're going to get ideas of how to serve people. And, and meet them individually and for high-level discipleship. You guys receive that? Let's see what else I'm hearing. I just heard there's a prayer movement coming out of this region. There's a youth movement coming out of this region. I heard um, <clears throat> there's a Colonel Sanders anointing. Colonel Sanders, he didn't start Kentucky Fried Chicken until after he retired. You got an idea. Finger licking good. (laughs) 
There's somebody who maybe thinks, um, wow, I'm getting up there and all of the best things that have happened in my life have already happened. Uh Uh-uh. You have no clue what you're being raised up for. There's a new idea. I remember when we were pastoring in Nevada, a guy who wasn't saved, his satellite, he got a big satellite TV dish. It got stuck on the Christian satellite. <laughs> he didn't know Jesus. He knew nothing about God. He got saved. He got radically saved by watching that. And he, he shares the gospel with somebody in, in Tonopah, Nevada. That woman gets saved. They get married. Then they start a cowboy church. And I just, I was hearing that there's people in this region who are getting supernaturally saved. Just say, it's happening. I like to get people to say things because you can't change your life without changing how you talk. And if we're only... Let me put it this way. We're not called to be thermometers. We're called to be a thermostat. I used to be only a thermometer in my thinking and talking. I'm tired. Everybody's tired. We're poor. (laughs) This area is hard for the gospel. Things are getting worse. Every time I move forward in God, I get attacked by the devil. (laughs) The Lord says, Steve, bummer for you. (laughs) Bummer for you. I mean, you're, man, I remember. (laughs) I'm, I'm praying. He said, yeah, I remember praying in the body of Christ. God, bring unity to the body of Christ so we can have revival. He said, Steve, if I could just get you into unity, we'd have revival. Because <laughs> you're, praying, you're praying one thing, you're saying another thing. You're praying one thing, you're believing another thing. I'm going to get you into unity. I remember the only time I ever thought right was when I was in the manifest presence of God. In the prayer meeting, yes, amen. God's doing it. We're victorious. In the worship service, waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, yes. Yes. That's who you are. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Even when I don't see it. But then outside of the manifest presence, I was pessimistic, worried, burdened, spirit of heaviness. (laughs) Someone turn the music back on so I can think right. (laughs) 
And the Lord said, hey, Steve, what you think after the meeting is more important than what you think in the meeting. And that's what we're going, that's what we're going after this weekend. What we think after the meeting. I want to know what I think tomorrow. I, I, love, I love the manifest anointing. I mean, it's hard to think a lie in a room like this. You could do it, but it's more difficult. God's called us to be thermostats. He's called us to set a new temperature in our lives. And, and we largely do it through what we say. What would you think if I said, you know, I adjusted the thermostat here, and, and you guys, I mean, in Arizona, you are thermostat experts. <laughs> I mean, if anybody knows how to work those things, <laughs> you know. And you know when it's not working. <laughs> what would you think if I, let's say it was, 85, and we put the thermostat down to 75, and, and I did that, and then five seconds later, I yelled at the thermostat, you're not working. This isn't working. No, you said it by faith. That's the same thing we do with our words. I mean, words are, I'll say it again, you can't change your life without changing how you talk. And you got, we have to think and say something higher than what we're feeling and experiencing. It's called faith. It's called faith. Romans 4.17 says, God who gives life to the dead by calling those things that are not as though they are. In Proverbs 18.21, it says, death and life is in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Those who love what? Those who love the revelation that life is in the power of the tongue will eat the fruit of their past words. James 3 says, our words are like a bit in a horse's mouth and a rudder on a ship. Whatever we talk a lot about, we get pulled towards. Whatever you want to see more of, just talk about it a lot. You want to see more tiredness? Just talk about being tired all the time. You want to see more attack of the enemy? Just talk about the devil's attack. You want to see more souls saved? Just talk about how souls, it's easy for souls to get saved around here. <clears throat> yep. Oh, uh, well, brother. Brother, you shouldn't. You shouldn't say something is true until you actually see it in your experience. I remember I, I was pastoring. In 1991, we went to a place called Round Mountain, Nevada. Let's laugh at that. <laughs> Wendy and I and our, my wife, Wendy, and our three children, we were on the north coast of California, and Jehovah Sneaky. Anybody ever met Jehovah Sneaky? Yeah. <laughs> I, it's four hours north of Vegas, high desert. There's a Highway 50 goes east-west through Nevada. It's the loneliest road in America. There's signs on it. And we were one hour off of the loneliest road in America. 
I remember out there I was hardly influencing sagebrush. <laughs> By the way, I kind of like this area. It gives me a warm, fuzzy feeling to be back here and look at the colors and out there. It's, um, and I felt like the Lord said, Steve, I want, I want you to say that you radically influence nations. We have a small church, and I said, well, Lord, I thought you said, thou shalt not lie. <laughs> Could you please be consistent? <laughs> Shouldn't I wait till I'm radically influencing nations before I say I'm radically influencing nations? And he said, um, well, Steve, do you wait for an apple tree to have apples on it before you call it an apple tree? Uh, well, no, Lord. <laughs> Even if the apple tree is too young to have apples on it, we're still not confused about its identity. And we can confidently say, that tree has the gift of apples. <laughs> and even if the apple tree died before it ever had apples, even at its funeral, we wouldn't be confused of its identity. We'd say, Brother Apple Tree led a short life. <laughs> Let him rest in peace. <laughs> you say, well, Steve, you don't get your identity. Let's think about it, because you don't get your identity out of what you've done. You get your identity out of what you're created to do. I'm created to influence nations. I'm created to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. I'm created to bring revival wherever I go. And, and so saying something higher than what we're experiencing, I mean, I'm not saying it to convince other people. I'm saying it to convince me. I, didn't, I wasn't trying to convince anybody else that I could influence nations. I'm trying to convince me because the stronghold in me says that's, that's not true for you. That's not, because our strongholds hate hope. Hope, hope is risky business. You know, like I'll, I'll have you say some things and some, some of you won't want to say them. I get that because if, you, if, we, if we say it and get our, if we get our hopes up again, then we, then we risk being disappointed. And, and so, you know, because, by the way, there's two ways to live. You can have a hopeless life and never be disappointed. Someone say, boo. Or you can live a hope-filled life with occasional disappointment. Someone say, yay. And, and his hope piece, boy, what would you call this? What are these meetings called? The hope? Hope, hope explosion. Oh, I like that. Now, I'm, I'm going to just start my story a little bit tonight. Um, so just a, just a quick bio on me. All right, so I'm from Redding, California. 
on staff at Bethel Church, working the Bethel Leaders Network. We got some Bethel Leader Network people here. Yes, we do. Can you can you wave if you're part of that? Yep. Yay. And that used to be Global Legacy. Some of you who have been a kind of a part of Bethel for years, and we changed that a few years ago. And that's really the part of Bethel Church where people who say, this is my tribe, I want to connect, especially church leaders, they check, they connect through Bethel Leaders Network. Um, we also, my wife and I also have a ministry called Igniting Hope Ministries. And we have a mandate to ignite hope. That's our assignment. By the way, the Lord's clarifying assignments tonight. He's clarifying assignments tonight. And what other people are doing isn't necessarily what you're going to do. We're, we're, our assignment is to ignite hope because there's no hopeless circumstances. There's just people who do not have hope. And once people get true hope, circumstances cannot stay the same. Hope is an unstoppable force. He has the most hope is the most influence. Our, our hope level determines our influence level. And I believe after love, hope is the most powerful leadership quality there is. People don't tend to want to follow hopeless leaders. Yep, you believe nothing's going to happen and things are only going to get worse. Yeah, we want to hook on to that. People want Pastor Tigger, not Pastor Eeyore. Yeah, Pastor Eeyore. Ah, good to have all two of you in the service today. Mom, thanks for coming. <laughs> I'm in part 85 of my series. <laughs> Why things are only going to get worse. <laughs> and my main point in this message this week is make sure you're watching the news and feeding on media for at least five hours a day so that you will be realistic. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants Pastor Eeyore. Maybe, maybe somebody does. I don't know. God loves to partner with unreasonably optimistic people. Can you imagine David going after Goliath today? <clears throat> hey, David. Before you attack Goliath, we're just looking on our phones here. <laughs> and we're reading what the experts are saying. <laughs> the experts are saying you're being unreasonably optimistic. They're saying you shouldn't have such high beliefs. The experts are saying you should go back to the fields, just take care of sheep, <laughs> and make it your goal just to be able to pay your bills every month. 
Make that your life goal. Because what the experts are saying is you're actually going to get killed. <laughs> hey, Ezekiel, before you prophesy to those dry bones, we just want to let you know what the experts are saying. <laughs> The experts are saying you must not know how dry they really are. <laughs> or you wouldn't be so optimistic. They're suggesting you do a deeper study on the bone's dryness. So you'll become realistic. Because what the experts are saying is when you speak to the bones, nothing is going to happen. Let's laugh at that, by the way. <laughs> God hasn't called us to be realistic. He's called us to be supernatural. I love that story, Ezekiel 37. And I, oh, man. It never gets old. I mean, there's people in this room, you've preached out of it, taught on it, prophesied out of it. And it's amazing. You know, God, God shows him a valley of very dry bones, and he, God's not afraid of us seeing how dry things are. Faith isn't denial. Joshua and Caleb, they weren't in denial about the giants in Numbers 13. Hey, uh, Joshua, you see any giants? No, no giants. No problems. Mm -mm. There's no problems there. No challenges. Mm -mm. We believe. <laughs> Faith doesn't deny the facts. It just believes in promises higher than the facts. God asked Ezekiel, I'm paraphrasing here, Hey, Ezekiel, I got a question for you. I'd like to know what you think about something. Because what you think is going to determine what I can do. Ezekiel, can these bones live? Ha, ha, ha. And he gives the safest answer of all time. Ha, <laughs> ha. Oh, Lord God, you know. Ha, <laughs> ha, You know. <laughs> you know, you know if it's in your sovereign will for them to live. You know if it's not too late. <laughs> you know, we're waiting for you to do something. And, and then God says, prophesy. I want you to... I want you to speak. I want you to call them what they really are. I want, them, I want you to call them in their, their destiny, their true destiny. Tell them they're going to live. You tell them. He, he didn't say, watch hey, Ezekiel step aside, go in the corner, watch me prophesy. He says, I need you because God has to partner with somebody who has hope to accomplish his will. God has to partner with somebody who has hope. God has to partner with somebody who believes dry bones can live. 
And Ezekiel spoke. And really, the question is never how dry the bones are. I'm going to do everything I can for bones not to get dry. Economy bones, government bones, morality bones, medical bones, truth bones, you know, family bones, church bones. I'm going to do everything I can to try to make sure those bones don't get drier. <laughs> I am. But ultimately, it doesn't matter how dry they get. The question is whether I've renewed my mind enough to believe those bones can live. Let me ask you a question. Can America live? I'm going to ask you again. Say it louder. Can America live? Can families live? Can morality live? Can health live? Can economy live? Can the church live? The answer is yes. And so just, just kind of just start my story. And so we have a ministry called Igniting Hope. And I grew up in north coast of California near Eureka in Redwood Tree Country. And I did not know Jesus. Graduated high school. Met Wendy in high school. We kind of became hippies. Um, and uh, searching, seeking, met Jesus. We both met Jesus radically. Someone say yay. yay. We found out there's no high like the most high. <laughs> He's the real deal. I mean, I when I met Jesus, I'll tell you this. I um I was absolutely amazed. I mean, I had gone to church but had kind of done some religious things and but when I met him I remember one night after church, I mean, I, I, after a Sunday night church, I was just so electrified with God that my girlfriend, Wendy, and I and a friend named Greg, we just walked around town, Fortuna, California, where we are, and all we could do is just, just talk about how amazing it was to be saved and just talk about, wow, how did we miss this? Because how did we miss that God loved us? And, I mean, it, it was just... Um, by the way, the Lord's restoring the joy of salvation to us. He's restoring the joy of his salvation. And it was so powerful. But yet, I remember coming to church, and, and I, on some Sunday mornings, I'd come to church, and I, I wouldn't feel saved. Let's laugh at that. Ha-ha. Ha-ha. I didn't feel saved. Whether it was, you know, I had a bad week, I didn't think I was doing well, or whatever. and then they'd give the altar call to be saved again, I'd go up and get saved again. Ha <clears throat> <laughs> ha. Then the Lord said, Steve, I've got good news for you. You are saved even when you don't feel saved. I said, wow, that's amazing. I thought feelings were the highest indicator of truth there is. Ha ha ha. Ha ha. Ha-ha. So that was, one of, that was one of the first belief things that I really learned. He said, your, your feelings, you want a different emotion, you need a different belief. 
Once I started believing I was saved, I started feeling saved. Once we start believing we're righteous, we'll start feeling and living righteous. We, we believe and then see, not see and then believe. So we get married a couple years later, stay in the same church 15 years. I was on staff at that church for many of those years. And it was a season of living in Romans 12.1 where it says to give your bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord, which is your reasonable service. And it was a season of learning how to surrender our heart, our will to the Lord, do things God's way. I've never, ever done anything God's way and said, well, I wish I wouldn't have done it God's way. <laughs> I've done some things my way. But God's ways are perfect. We learned how to sacrifice. We, we sacrificed our time. We sacrificed our money. We sacrificed our dreams. We'd, we'd run to altars. You know, what Isaiah heard in Isaiah 6, who will go for us? He said, here am I, send me. We said, God, here am I, send, send us. Just, just say, here am I, send me. Say it again. Say it louder. God's answer is always a person. We say, God, do something in America. His answer is always a person, a man, woman, boy, or girl he gives an assignment to. And usually it's an assignment that that person doesn't think they're qualified to do. Ha ha. God tends to overestimate us. Ha ha. Ha ha. So he sends us to the desert. How many know God likes to send people to deserts to teach him how to repent? <laughs> you might not have known it, but this is one of the reasons you're here. <laughs> and, and one of the best definitions of repentance is to change the way you think. I'm, Stephen Wendy, I'm sending you to the desert, and I love your heart for Romans 12.1, but if you're going to see transformation, I've got to move you into Romans 12.2 where it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is that good and excellent, so that you may prove that good and excellent and perfect will of God. We heard this, transformation doesn't come from surrendering your heart, it comes from surrendering your beliefs. We grew up in a culture where we thought that our lack of breakthroughs because we hadn't given God our heart enough. Or, or there was one hidden sin in our life that we, we didn't see. Our favorite song was, Search Me, O God. <laughs> and see if there's any wicked way in me. And I remember my wife crying out to God, thinking her lack of breakthrough because she hadn't given God her heart enough. And she's crying out, God, I give you my heart. I give you my heart. I guess I can't give you my heart. Just take my heart. Take my heart. Oh, thank you. And she hears this, Wendy, I got your heart. Now I need your mind. I got your heart. I got it. But now I need you to give me your mind. He said, Wendy, can you sacrifice the beliefs that you're shy? Can you surrender those beliefs you're shy, inadequate, and can't speak well in front of others? 
Can you surrender those beliefs? She says, but God, that's who I am. And she hears this, that's not who you are, that's just who you've become. That's not who you are. That's just who you've become because you've been only renewing your mind with your past experience and thinking that's truth. Steve, can you surrender the beliefs that you are less than other leaders and can you surrender the beliefs that there's something uniquely wrong with you? <laughs> but Lord, if fee, I feel that there's something uniquely wrong with me. If, you know, if it feels this strong, doesn't that mean it's true? He said, no. It's not true. There's something uniquely right with you. And I remember just, wow, I mean, the, the battle of the greatest warfare is in our mind. So we're surrendering. God showed us John 8, 32, the truth will make you free. Every area of our life where we believe truth in, we get free. Every area of our life where we believe lies, we're not free. We get saved by believing in Jesus. We get free by believing like Jesus. I get saved when I put my faith in him. I get free when I start thinking like him. And I first get free in my emotions, and then I get free in my circumstances. Someone just say freedom. Someone say breakthrough. Someone say fire. Someone say no limits. So the battle is between lies and truth. And so the question is, how do we know if we're believing a lie? Because the nature of deception is, is that we don't know we're deceived. <laughs> Once we know we're deceived, we're no longer deceived. <laughs> that's, that's taught in deception class 101. <laughs> so I got an indicator. And some of you have heard this before, but I get excited every time I share it. <laughs> I, uh, I was reading a book by a guy named Francis Frangipan. By the way, bless him. Thank you for great teachers in the body of Christ. And there's great teachers in this room. Um, the three battlegrounds, one of the battlegrounds is the mind. And he said, he basically said this. He said, every area of your life that doesn't glisten with hope, say glisten with hope. Every area of your life that doesn't glisten with hope means you're believing a lie. And that area is a stronghold of the devil in your life. <laughs> Let me say that one again. You either say amen or oh me after you hear <laughs> Every area of your life that doesn't glisten with hope means you're believing a lie. And that area is a stronghold of the devil in your life. I, I read that, I close the book, I become instantly discouraged. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to find one area where I got hope. I 
I mean, this is a time of our lives. I mean, let me just explain this to you. You know, we, our outward life at that time was very non-successful looking. Let me just share some things that were telling us we were failures, and then after each one, you can just laugh at. We, we, had, a, we had a non-successful car. <laughs> uh, we had a non-successful salary. <laughs> we had a non-successful church size. <laughs> My hair was starting to get non-successful. <laughs> <laughs> my home, our home, which was a single wide old trailer next to the church called the Parsonage, was not successful. <laughs> I remember that season, the Lord says, Hey, um, Steve, I want you to get better beliefs right now. I said, Lord, I'll tell you what, I'll make a deal with you. How's this sound, God? When things start getting better in my life, I'll start believing better. Is that okay with you? He said, no. He said, that's not how this thing works. There's got a time, there has to become a time where you start thinking and talking higher than what you're experiencing. It's called faith. And there will never be a convenient time to do it. So I'm reading that quote, close the book, get discouraged. I, I can't find an area of hope, let alone glistening hope. Then I prayed a dumb prayer. Oh, God, would you please show me every lie that I'm believing? I should not have prayed that. I should have prayed, Lord, show me 10% of the lies I'm believing. Because <laughs> it felt like a dump truck just backed up to me and, and, dumped on me the revelation. Pretty much everything I believed in my life was a lie, and I was pastoring a church. I had good doctrine, but bad beliefs. And we need good doctrine. Jesus is God, authority of Scripture, salvation by grace through faith alone. How many know you can have great doctrine and, and still be a mess? Because we're believing lies about God, ourselves, others, circumstances. And so we're out there. I mean, he, he's just overhauling us. And again, God loves to raise up great people in deserts. We stayed out there 10 years. And, and it, was, it wasn't always fun. But, but it was powerful. And... And we, we started to redirect our spiritual warfare guns at our own beliefs. Up to that point, our spiritual warfare guns were pointed outward. We were rebuking until our rebuker was worn out. <laughs> we were binding everything that moved. <laughs> <laughs> and I know there's a time to deal directly with the devil, but the devil's not our biggest problem. So that, that quote about glistening hope, Romans 15, 13 really supports that. It says, now, say now. 
wins now. Right now? It's a, it's a smart group here. <laughs> it says, now may the God of hope fill you. When? Now. Tomorrow? When we get through this season? When? Now. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Now, Hope's got two buddies who hang out with him. One's called all joy, the other's called peace. You get, you get, you get hope, you're going to get some joy and you get some peace. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Say, in believing. That's the key phrase in the whole verse. And then it goes on to say that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You start getting so much hope, you just start abounding. Yep, Tigger. By the way, I just released the Tigger anointing. <laughs> if you pull that verse down to its essence, Romans 15, 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you in believing. So the moment I believe truth is the moment I get filled by the God of hope. So I start believing truth. I start getting filled. Believe more truth. Then it gets up to my eyes. Wow, I actually see everything differently. Wow. I think God can even use me. I'm actually kind of liking me. I think I can do this thing. I actually see the different the people around me differently. I think God can even use them. <laughs> hey, I think there's hope for my nation. Wow, well, I think. Wow, well, I, I I think there, you know, and increasing hope is the evidence we're renewing our mind with truth decreasing hope is the evidence we're renewing our mind with lies this is what we're hearing Stephen when your hope level is the indicator of whether you're believing lies or truth that's the indicator how do you how do we know for a high level truth believer well I can win Bible trivia contests I've got large portions of scripture memorized. Yes, amen. I teach. Yes. I can teach about Melchizedek. <laughs> well, we applaud that. But I believe that if we know, like it says in, in John 8, 31 and 32, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth. And the truth will make you free. And we first get free. And so we know the truth and we start believing it. And hope is one of the biggest evidences that we know the word. That we know the word. And there's no condemnation if we don't have hope right now. There's no con but if we don't know what our problem is, we have a real problem. I didn't know what my problem was. I thought the devil was my problem. I thought my past was my problem. I thought a pre God's preordained plan that put limits on my life was my problem. 
I thought the people in my life were the problem. I thought my government was the problem. Say, ah, that's not your problem, Steve. It's what you believe. And by the way, something's happening in this meeting right now. Something's happening. I remember a meeting when we were pastoring in Weaverville, California. Someone came in after a two-week drug binge. They were in the meeting. Nobody prayed for her, and she got instantly delivered from drugs in that meeting with no withdrawals. She comes up to me a year later, and she says, Steve, here's my AA clean and sober coin. I've been free for a year from one meeting in your church. And I'm hearing that in this meeting, it may not be drugs. It could be. But but in this meeting, someone's getting that dramatic of a deliverance tonight. Whether it's a deliverance from lies, whether it's a deliverance from depression, whether it's a deliverance from um, offense, whether it's a deliverance from passivity, someone, someone is, is getting launched in this meeting. Just turn to your neighbor and say, I think he's talking about you. Let me begin to wrap this up tonight, and Levi is going to help me in a moment to minister. We're going to have some fun tonight. And by the way, tomorrow morning, tomorrow morning is going to be powerful. Because we're going to build on this thing. Um, this hope piece is, I just got, I, I never saw it. First Corinthians 13 says, now three things remain, faith, hope, and love. I, got, I was focusing on faith and love, but I, I didn't get this hope thing. And one of my favorite definitions of hope is this, is that hope is the belief that the future will be better than the present. And I have the power to help make it so. Hope is the belief that the future will be better than the present, and I have the power to help make it so. I mean, I've lived through a lot of stuff. Man, I get saved, and they say, wow, Jesus is coming. You know, just, you know, rack up your credit cards. (laughs) Don't plan for the future. There's no hope for planet Earth because God's angry with the Earth. And so, you know, I went through that season. Went through the Cold War. It's over. You're going to get nuked any moment. There's no future. No future. Yeah, just hide under your desk at school. Y2K, it's all over. No future. It's going to end. There's always a reason why not to believe for the future. There's always a reason why we shouldn't have hope. It's always there. It's always there. Great entrepreneurs out of negative times, they create great things. And I'm in the room with spiritual entrepreneurs. I'm in the room with people who are resilient. People who have a belief they'll thrive no matter what happens. Just say, I'll thrive no matter what happens. I mean, Paul, he, he must have gone to a name-it-and-claim-it-blab-it-and-grab-it church. <laughs> I, I mean, he says in 
Philippians 4.13. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do it. The verses before that said, whether I'm abounding or abased, whether I've got plenty or little, I've learned to be content. I love it. We learn. We're not zapped into it. If you're not content right now, you're learning. I'm learning to be inwardly successful. Then he said, I can do all things. I can do this thing. He said, I'll thrive as a millionaire. I'll thrive in jail. I can do all things. I'll thrive whether I got a government I like. I'll thrive if I don't have a government I like. I'll thrive. I'll thrive in a good economy. I'll thrive in a bad economy. I'll thrive no matter what. That's the essence of hope. Hope is the belief that the future will be better than the present, and I have the power to help make it so. Once we lose hope, we die. Once we we no longer believe the future will be better than the present, we've started to die. They, there was a town that was going to be covered by a, a reservoir. They were building a dam, and once the town knew there was no future, all improvements stopped. All for, there's, no, there's, there's, no, there's no reason to improve. There's no future. But I got good news for you. Your future is as bright as the promises of God. Your future is as bright as the promises of God. I'm not into positive thinking. I'm into biblical optimism. Hebrews 10.23 says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Say, he is faithful. Say it again. Say it louder. And I'm just, just even tonight, I just see Holy Spirit just, I've already said it, but I just see him, just there's a literal impartation of truth coming into us. An impartation of truth and the lies You know, all of us are believing lies about something. The lies are getting exposed. Every, I I do not trust any conclusion in my life doesn't have hope attached to it. Whether it's about me, whether it's about my family, whether it's about a name, I don't trust the conclusion. That has changed my life. So, Father, thanks. Thanks for what you're doing. Thank you, Lord, for the people who are here, the people watching via the Internet, people listening to the recording. I thank you that this is a a supernatural moment. And, Lord, you're, you're, you're doing things way beyond what's being spoken or done. You're, you're ministering personally to people. And, and I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're raising us up for something we don't know, bigger than we know. And I thank you that even those who right now, even tonight, where it's hard to have hope, where 
it's there's challenges there's things that look so much bigger than you i thank you that that even in each life that there's a there's a a word that you're giving and a breakthrough that's happening yeah thanks father